Welcome to the Mogul Marathon Real Estate Podcast. We highlight keen investment insights and strategies so you can become a real estate mogul. Here's your host, Yannick Kujo Virgil. Hey guys, welcome to the Mogul Marathon Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Yannick Kujo Virgil, and I'm very excited for our guest today. Our guest today is Lloyd Grossflags. He's a partner at Argus Eyed Partners and is responsible for asset management and the direct real estate investments across new ground up developments and value add investment strategies. He also has an extensive amount of experience in the affordable and market rate real estate development and private equity space. Lloyd is also an adjunct professor in the Georgetown School of Professional Studies, teaching courses in the Masters of Real Estate program. Lloyd, thanks for being on the show today. That's a mouthful, but thank you. Thank you. That makes me sound <laughs> pretty darn good. So Lloyd, I'd love for you to give the listeners a little bit of insight of your story and how do you get to where you are today? I mean, shoot, where to start? I thought I wanted to be an architect. I was dead wrong and saw some real estate developers in undergrad uh, working for a nonprofit and thought, wow, those guys seem like they're having a ton of fun. They get to talk to the architects. They get to work with the construction folks, the financiers, the nonprofits, the, the people who actually use the space. And they get to do all those different things in a single day. And hopefully it all comes together to create something of value. And that seemed incredibly interesting. Um, so I changed majors, started working at Marcus and Millichap, the, the brokerage house, try to get my feet wet in as many ways as possible. Uh, went to grad school to do the same thing and have just kind of continued trying to fill out the different parts of the puzzle that I feel like I don't have a good understanding for. And so far, so good. Um, I know more than I started with for certain. And I think as long as you keep trying to do that, should shake out pretty well. That's great. Um, I know that you have a, an extensive amount of experience in the real estate space and, you know, specifically asset management. So, you know, we're super excited to have you on the show to, to talk about that as well. Um, talk about your experience with, with Marcus and Millichap. You know, how did that help you get to where you are today and just being, you know, an expert in the asset management space as well? I think the the big benefit I got out of Marcus was, and I wasn't a broker, I was an analyst for a team of, it started as one individual and then it ended up being five brokers. And for me, moving markets from Milwaukee, where I grew up to DC, it was such an easy way for me to get my hands around as many deals as possible, as quickly as possible, understand the market, understand the transactions, the pricing, so on and so forth. That was hugely beneficial because I got a, a jump start into understanding the job market that I was going to try and jump into after graduating from grad school. So I, I don't have the personality type necessarily to be a broker and connecting buyer and seller. I think I get more enjoyment out of and, and have better skill sets suited for being in the ownership or the development group. So I kind of knew it wasn't a long-term solution for me. I wanted to be boots on the ground, the person maybe not swinging the hammer, but figuring out all the different components of the deal to make it a success, hopefully. Yeah. And that's really where you where you make your money, right? It's just understanding the operations and 
um, everything soup to nuts, right? You know, when I transitioned out of the NFL, I didn't know anything about real estate, but I knew that I wanted to get into commercial real estate. So for me, I took similar to your path, you know, I started working at a brokerage, you know, doing office and retail tenant rep uh, transactions and also multifamily transactions as well, and kind of worked my way up into the asset management space for different private equity firms and then went off and, and did my own thing, right? So I think there's a lot of value in just, you know, working for different private equity firms in real estate that investors can take that and, and build their own portfolios. Let's talk about asset management because right before we got on the call, I mentioned that you have to know everything about due diligence and um, everything about, you know, uh, raising capital, closing on the deal, due diligence, getting all the docs together, all of the, the minutiae that goes into acquisitions. There's not a lot of context about or content rather on the importance of asset management, right? And specifically within the context of like executing the business plan and getting those returns to your investors. So, Let's start off with like, what is asset management to you and how do you create, you know, asset management processes and systems that would allow you to be successful in, you know, commercial real estate? Yeah, I think, I think both good questions. I think asset management is an ownership role that is able to speak into all aspects of the business plan. You may not be in the intimate day-to-day minutia of the operations of the property, but you are the connecting link between the ownership group's goals and needs for returns and you know investors' needs for returns. And you're also talking with the property management or boots on the ground construction folks to perhaps change how the property operates based on their feedback. But also you're responsible for keeping in mind the metrics that you need to hit on returns for the quarter or the amount of cash flow that you need to refill the reserves after renovating units, you have to be able to kind of play in all those different spaces. And you're the, the person or the role who can connect all those dots because folks on site shouldn't be responsible for understanding investors needs for returns. And the CEO or the CFO of a company shouldn't necessarily understand what the tenant in unit 102 did last night with their friends. (laughs) And I think bridging that gap is incredibly important because you need great people doing these things day to day to make a business work, but you also need to serve the people who are investing with you and the folks looking out for that on a day to day basis. So I think you get to work in so many different avenues of the business, but you're ultimately responsible for bringing it all together and executing all of those business plans for the benefit of the property. That's great. The way how you you broke it down, you know, how I look at asset management is there's a complex between being a fiduciary, right? Getting the financial straight and getting to the position where you can deliver on investor expectations. But then there's also another piece of sometimes you have to like fire drill, especially in a multifamily space where, you know, it's, it's a people's business, right? Whereas like, you know, retail or office would be something completely different, right? You're dealing with businesses that just close after 5 p.m. Understanding that going into asset management is extremely important because not everyone can be an asset manager. You know, to be a successful asset manager, in my opinion, is on one side, financials and how to get to that business plan and different strategies to think creatively outside of the box. And then the other side is like, the rescuer when really it's it's not fun at all right sometimes dealing with tenants so 
let me ask you this. So within the context of, of asset management, what are the top top KPIs in commercial real estate or asset management that you look for to get to your end goal of the performer, right? If you have some sort of performer that your you know investors are expecting, you know, an eight to ten percent return, you know, what do you look for on a monthly, maybe a quarterly basis that would allow you to get incremental returns for your investor? Yeah, I think there's a couple that really stick out to me. And I think some of it is how you structure your financials, but having a loss to lease or gain to lease metric on your books, I find incredibly important because your gross potential rent, that absolute top line, everybody's paying 100% of market rent is a, a great goal. But if you've reached that, you need to continue working harder. You need to raise rents. If everybody's at market, that means you can push, especially if you're at 100% occupancy. You you have room to grow. So I find loss to lease and average in-place rents to be two of my favorite metrics to understand growth, particularly in a value-add scenario, because in a quick glance, I can tell how well we've done at our renewal increases as well as our new leases and occasionally renovations too. You can tell if new residents are coming in at old rates or new rates. And so that burn off of loss to lease over time, us bringing residents up to market progressively over the period of three, six, 12 months is a really great way to be able to visually see progress very quickly. And you instantly can understand whether your leasing team is able to hit the rents that you're proposing, the market rents that you've put in place, or maybe you need to slow things down a bit. It's it's a slog. People aren't signing new leases at 2x what they used to. Um, maybe we need to slow this thing down, get occupied again, and get our cash flow flowing again. I think those two are two of my favorites for sure. How I look at asset management too is you always start with, with revenue, Right. That is what controls the performer nine times out of 10. If you have a baseline performer and you you have incremental rents over time, your NOI is going to grow up. Your property value is going to grow up. Everyone is happy. And so, like you said, identify that delta between your gross potential versus your, you know, your loss to lease to figure out, you know, how's the property performing over time? Should we slow down on these rent increases because, you know, we're not able to, to get to the rents that we thought that we were? Or should we keep it up because the market is just absorbing things at a great rate? So all of that stuff is extremely important. Talk about the construction process as well, right? You have an extensive amount of experience in the value add space, you know, especially from managing these assets from a long distance perspective, right? The construction space right now is challenging. You have supply chain issues, you have roof issues that you can't get, you know, roofing materials as quickly as you probably could have, you know, 24 months ago. Your materials when you're renovating these projects, like what does that construction process look like for you from a managerial perspective within the context of asset management to make sure that if we want to turn units in 30 days, you know, this is how we we're tracking that. And, you know, this is the people that we have to, to look after, or, you know, these are the materials that we need to order, you know, up front. or how do, how do you, how do you balance that in today's environment? I think it starts with a lot of heartache and a lot of brain damage. <laughs> you, it, it's tough to know if you have a good contractor or not until they've done some work. It's incredibly frustrating when you get a bad one, and it's incredibly rewarding when you get a good one. And I think you continue to go back to the folks who you've had a good relationship with, and that solves a lot of the problems. The 
the tough thing is the the learning experience or the vetting process as you are working through potentially a dozen vendors on a job to find the right person. And I think some of the ways that you can mitigate some of that downside is splitting the scope up between vendors. You get to try multiple folks at a time. Mm. If you have a GC that's capable of roofing and gutters and siding, maybe you only give them the roofing and you let somebody else handle the siding, though both of those contractors independently could do the entire job. Maybe it keeps them motivated and you can say, all right, on phase two of this project, it's all going to go to you if this goes off well. Or if somebody has supply chain issues or they can't pay their guys and they go to another job, so on and so forth, you've got a backup option or two that's already built in. Hopefully you can ramp them up a little bit more quickly than having to go find a whole nother contracting group. I think that's a, a hard one lesson that I had to learn a couple of times. And I'll probably make that mistake again of saying, Hey, I want you to do everything. It's much easier for me <laughs> to manage if it's just one contractor. Yeah. But I, you do really bake in some downside protection. If you split up some of the work between groups. 100%. I totally agree with that. You know, it's all about risk mitigation, right? How can I make sure that I'm not too overly leveraged on one contractor, right? Because contractors are in the business of getting more business and sometimes they might get busy on someone else's project. But then for me, how I look at it is also, it's a dating game, right? You know, and you have to uh, implement the ideology of hire slow, but fire fast. Hey, listen up. If you're an employee, business owner, or professional athlete with money in the bank earning 0% return and you're thinking about passively investing in real estate, well, you need to check out our ultimate syndication guide for passive investors. This free guide absolutely covers everything you need to know about passively investing in real estate syndication or just real estate in general. If you want access to this valuable resource, go to MerlinAcquisitions.com slash Passive Guide to download the free syndication guide for passive investors. That's M-E-R-L-Y-N-N Acquisitions.com slash Passive Guide or head over to the show notes and click the link to download. Now let's get back to the show. So let's talk about, you know, some of the systems and processes that you've learned, you know, within the private equity space that, you know, you think are the best ones that operators today, you know, whether it's, you know, newer investors who may just have done their first deal or experienced operators who might have smaller properties and are looking to scale their business, you know, 10x, you know, what have you learned from the big time firms that contributes to their success and their ability to to grow and do large, large transactions? I think this, not necessarily a system, but I think this actually relates back to the construction topic a little bit in that if you're a new investor, this may not apply as much, but for well-banked groups, I think you have a ton of flexibility and opportunity with contractors as well as just acquisitions plain and simple, if you can come a little bit more equity heavy, if you can pay for construction out of cash and you don't need to go Mm -hmm. to a lender for a draw to then pay the contractor, they're going to have a better time with you. You're also going to have so much more control than if a lender were reviewing each draw that you are putting in and you're ticking and tying every dollar and every cent. You should do that, but there's a lot more time involved. There's a lot more scrutiny. If you're in control of the 
renovation spend and you decide to pivot and say that oh, this is actually far more worth me spending money on, despite it not being in the original business plan, that's your prerogative. So long as it adds value and you can prove that, it's worth it. If you have to go to a lender to ask for approval to change the buckets of funds that you're, <laughs> you've, you've predetermined in the renovation process, that might be really painful. Yeah, that can be an administrative process for sure. Yeah, and they may tell you no. And then you're locked into something that actually isn't as good of an opportunity as something else you found. So I think that's a really advantageous thing, if you can do it, is to come with a little bit more equity, maybe overraise on the front end and pay for construction out of cash. Mm. Get refunded through debt proceeds when the time comes for a refire supplemental. But I think that allows you a ton of flexibility in executing your business plan. Um, as far as processes and maybe even softwares go, I think really a lot of it falls back on people. I think there's a lot of softwares doing the same thing. There's a lot of processes that I don't know that anything we use is new at all. I don't think we're reinventing the wheel. We're trying to find what works best to manage the people that we've got or the projects that we've got simply based on where the portfolio is at and that point of time. Um, maybe you can toss me an example of what other folks are, are seeing or using, or, you know, maybe it'll get my mind going on processes that we have in place that I've just. So to, to circle back on, on your point about having, you know, that liquidity, I think, especially in this environment where we have, you know, loans that are tied to floating rates, right. In the construction process, you know, maybe you, you took out, you know, maybe a bridge loan or something, right. Um, or you took out a construction loan where that loan is, is a floating rate, right. And you constantly have to draw and increase proceeds and you might be going through with a value add, you know, business plan and you have to renovate those units. You know, that's something that's essentially, you know, you have to take into consideration, right. Having increased rates over time, you know, due to floating, you know, changes in, in economic policy. And then, you know, measuring that between getting your business plan across the finish line. I think just having that capital or having that equity on the side is extremely, um, it gives you the flexibility, like you said, right, of being able to, to you know, avoid increasing the interest payments that you have to in your loan and protecting yourself against any downside that might happen in the marketplace, right? So I think that's that's extremely uh, important, especially when when we talk about the administrative process that not a lot of people <laughs> talk about in this business, right? With dealing with lenders and hey, you know, we 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 thought that we might have to spend fifty thousand on this roof. It's like twenty, but we want to reallocate that thirty thousand to something else that we think would add value to the property. And now it's having that discussion with the lender. So all of this is part of you know the asset management duty, right? It's just being the captain of the ship, being the one who's responsible for getting the business plan across the finish line, but also doing that in the, you know, the the, the most astute way possible to, to make sure that you protect the ship. As far as processes, you know, for, for me and, you know, what I've learned is just, just have that investor management portal, right? We use Syndication Pro. And that process of just handling the, you know, the reports that you give to your investors on a quarterly basis, distributing those reports through the system and letting the system just kind of send that out instead of having, you know, having to send, you know, 20 different emails to 20 different investors is something that's extremely crucial. And I recommend anyone who is, you know, in the commercial real estate space, raising capital from their network, and they have a multitude of investors in their 
um, in their deals is just having those seamless processes is super important when we talk about being efficient, when we talk about creating something that's presentable. That's something that I've learned from my tenure in the private equity space is just the investor management um, side within the asset management construct is uh, <laughs> it can be tedious, you know, creating those reports and sending those reports out. Yeah, I've done the email to every individual investor with a typed out quarterly report. I've used Appfolio's investment manager, and then most recently was Juniper Square, which is not at all small box. Um, that'll generate the K1s and all the reporting. It'll keep the waterfall straight for you. It's it's really nice, but it's incredibly expensive. But I think to your point, there's huge, huge value in sometimes paying for convenience, especially if it helps your appearance to folks. Um, if you can raise capital easier, that's got some value. And part of that comes from the reports that you're generating and the detail that you're giving investors on a quarterly basis. If they feel good about the money that they've given you and they feel good about the sponsor, they trust you. They're yeah. going to be the best source of marketing on the planet. That's what we we believe in, right? It's just creating that experience because people people buy experiences, right? Mm -hmm. People enjoy the value of having that great experience when investing with, you know, with someone on their deal, right? And that's something that they can go and tell their friends and it just overall just creates that brand for an investor to go out there and, and sell themselves as someone who's professional. Not only can they deliver returns, but it can be a seamless interaction between, you know, an investor and a, and a sponsor. So that's something that's, that's really important. So let me ask you this. So you've had an interesting journey in real estate, right? From Marcus and Millichap to moving on to different private equity firms to where you are now. Uh, you know, if you had to start this marathon all over again, what would you do differently that would contribute to your success in real estate? It's a good question. And I don't know that I've ever thought about it before. So I'm, I'm going to be spitballing, but I think it was such an iterative process for me that, you know, when folks ask you, what's your five or 10 year goal, mm -hmm. where do you see yourself? I think for yeah. me, it's, a, it's always been a really challenging question to answer because whenever I've said that I've been wrong and it's because hopefully you're continuing to learn something and you end up pivoting to take advantage of that. And I think that's all I've done. Um, you know, doing it all over again, I think I'd, I'd like to get into a development shop sooner rather than later, but those are the hardest jobs to come by. Of course, a good developer tries to stay lean in most cases, but mm -hmm. I think that's ultimately where you get the most experience because in a small shop, you end up wearing so many more hats than you do at a big shop. Mm -hmm. If you can, if I could have found a way into a smaller outfit earlier on, I think it would have just accelerated my learning even more quickly. When you say, you know, a developer wants to be lean, it's, it's obviously from the perspective of, you know, a developer is the last one to get paid, right? And then developers really hate, you know, kicking out costs that are, you know, somewhat residual in nature from a payroll and all that stuff perspective, yeah. right? And I, I think, I think for me, 
it would kind of be, you know, something similar, right? It's just finding those shops who do things at a high level. But sometimes you have to start somewhere, right? And for me, it was starting in brokerage. Again, I didn't have any, any, you know, industry knowledge on real estate. I went to school for kinesiology, right? I thought that I was going to play in the NFL for 10 years, retire, and then just go own a gym and just sail off to the sunset. But there's value in education. There's value in getting started. There's value in all the things that we talked about so that an investor can go off and do their own thing in real estate. So my next question is, you know, what is one thing that you do well today that contributes to your success? I think flexibility and prioritization are two things that are constantly on my mind. I think in asset management and probably a lot of other roles, you have offense, which would be the long-term strategic value-add thinking that you know is worth a ton, but you have to contribute a lot of time and brain power to it to get to a good answer or a final product. And then there's the defense, the stuff that's on fire, in your face. People are demanding your attention every day. And if you can separate those two things and set aside time for the long-term stuff, a lot of the time, the defense, the fires in your face kind of solve themselves. Although it's a tough mental gymnastics thing to get through because you want to be responsive. You want to take care of as much as you possibly can. If you can dedicate your time to the longer term stuff, oftentimes it it shows just as well. You get a ton more value out of the time that you're putting in. That's something that's really been a struggle for me, but I can always see value in it when I take the time, set aside the time to just focus on these are the highest value, lowest hanging fruit items on my list. If I tackle these, I could have responded to these other 400 things. But these are <laughs> going to add 10 times more value anyway. And I think that that one, two, or that decision-making process is is hard, but is super integral in adding value at, at being good at my job. I love the way that you position that from an offensive and defensive perspective, because that is literally in a nutshell, what you have to do on, on a daily basis for asset management, right? It's all of the work starts when you close the property. You know, you have this, this offensive nature, like you mentioned, of getting to the financial projections, but then you have to handle defense. You, you really have to, to be able to play both ways, right? Just like the sporting context. So Lloyd, you know, if our listeners are interested in following up with you and just following, you know, what you're doing in the real estate space, you know, what's the best way for listeners to get in touch with you moving forward? I think LinkedIn is probably the best way. Um, I, I try to update things on Instagram, but it doesn't happen very frequently. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to be better about responding to folks via email or LinkedIn and, and check in more often. I would say those are those are the best ways at the moment. Great. Well, uh, Lloyd, I really appreciate you being on the show today. You know, we talked about asset management and the importance of it when executing the business plan, talked about KPIs, managing construction, all of the things that operators need to know about uh, how to manage, you know, their commercial real estate property. So thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for the listeners today for tuning into the Mogul Marathon Real Estate Podcast. Let's go out there and take action and be great today. And remember, Real estate is a marathon, not a sprint. Lloyd, thanks again for being on the show. Thank you for having me.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.